today's scripture is James 5, 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. This is the living word of God for us today. I don't know about you, but uh, just sitting there, my heart is so full, uh, not just because I see my daughter up here, Lisa and I do, but because I see these kids, all of them. And um, you know, this is why we exist, to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus. And men and women, if we don't start with our own kids, uh, we, we're, we're missing the heart of God. And so to see and know what you all have done and poured into these students is amazing. And uh, I'm so grateful. Open your Bibles, please, to James chapter five. It's two short verses. James chapter five, verses 17 and 18. Uh, the school year is ending, so is the book of James. Y'all, we have two more messages in the book of James. Uh, have a final two verses next week, and then I'll do a review two weeks from now and we will be through this letter. Rob mentioned last week that it seems like James skips around, doesn't it, as he ends these last, as he finishes these last eight verses, kind of here, there, here, there. But I wanna remind you what Rob said, and that is there's a very strong theme in these last eight verses. And it's quite simply faith without works is dead. You say, well, it doesn't say that in these verses. Oh my, yes, it does. He's been saying it through the whole book. And he lands this book at the place we call active faith when we think of our own journey. It's active faith. That's why we've been carrying a coin for four months that's got two sides. One side of that coin is belief. The other side is action. One side is where we trust. The other side is where we do. And you cannot separate the two. And James ends this by giving us exhibit A. Jesus is Lord of the church. Jesus leads his church. God leads his church. And then he says, and by the way, he leads it through a plurality of called and qualified men. Wait, does God lead it or does... You can't separate the two. And then he says, by the way, one of the ways in which God leads his church is through the prayers of the elders for the body. And so James says, ask the elders to pray for you. And now he's gonna get so specific, you all, because he's gonna turn turn from, you know, call the elders to pray for you to this. You pray. Not pastors, you pray for one another. Pray for yourselves. And I want you to know when we talk about this topic of prayer, I I felt it when I said, oh, I'm gonna teach that. It feels like the Achilles heels of faith. It, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you, I, I, honestly, I don't think there are five people in the room right now, and I would not be one of the five, that if I came up to you and said, how's your prayer life, that you would go, fantastic. I, I, who of us prays enough, you know? You know, the Bible never comes at us that way. The Bible never says to us, are you praying enough? Pray, that's not the way 
It's not the way we think about prayer. It's certainly not the way the Bible wants us thinking about prayer. And so I want you to know when you leave here in a few moments, I, I hope you don't leave here as I, is, is, is easy to do, which is, oh my gosh, I got pray, I don't enough. I, you know, with all that, don't leave with all that. My hope is you'll leave with, you'll leave with a biblical perspective on prayer that will change your life and that will change us as a community of faith. I wanna say, first of all, there's no secret to prayer. I have no secret formula to give you up here that goes, that's what I've been waiting for. You'll be waiting a long time. James doesn't give it. Secondly, there's no special endowments for prayer. I just wanna put this on the, on the table. Elijah, whom he cites as an example, had a nature like ours. Can I tell you what Elijah was like? He was like you. He was like me. And he had moments where faith was so strong and in his next breath, he had no faith at all. There were moments when he was so courageous and in the next breath, he was so terrified. There were moments when he was so vibrant and healthy and in the next moment, he struggled greatly with depression, deep, deep discouragement. Elijah was a person like you and me. I want you to buckle up because I'm gonna move pretty quickly in light of our time. And it's not going to be an exposition per se of verses 17 and 18. It will be, but it'll be a little different. You'll see what I mean in a moment. It's gonna, verses 17 and 18 are gonna send us to the Old Testament. Because if we're gonna listen to what James says, by the way, look again at your text. I want you to see this. If we pick up in verse 16, the second part, James writes, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And we all go, got it. By the way, the righteousness there, please understand, yes, it has to do in part with, you know, that you live well, okay? But can I tell you, you'll never be righteous enough for God to answer your prayers. So don't look at that and go, I'm not a righteous man. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you are in Christ's righteousness. You remove that obstacle off the table. If you think that you're gonna clean up your life enough now and so that God will hear your prayer because you've done really well for three weeks, that's not true. Our righteousness, and even Elijah, is the righteousness God gives us. Everybody with me on that? So, uh, James, got an example of this? Ah, yes I do. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Do not look at that text and go, I can pray and stop the rain and I can pray and start the rain because my answer to you would be, uh, no, you can't unless God instructed you to tell you could. He's not telling us we can do that. Well, then how is Elijah the example for us to, to follow? Why did he use Elijah as an example? Well, you've got to know the story of Elijah. When the original audience read this and he gave this example, you all, 
It was a story they knew like the back of their hand. They knew the story of Elijah and so must we. And so this is where I'm gonna take us for a few moments. Many of you know it, be a review, but there are three events that happened in Elijah's life and a fourth I'll tack on at the end that give us three and then four lessons that we then bring back to our life and it guides us in prayer. It's not complicated. Turn your Bibles to the book of First Kings. The book of First Kings, Old Testament. I'm gonna give you the history that sets up our story. The nation of Israel is divided. That should immediately prompt a red flag in us because that's not the way God intended. The 12 tribes have split into a civil war. There's 10 in the north that are called Israel, and there are two in the south that are called Judah. I always get this confused. Why did they call the one in the north Israel when the whole thing is Israel? Anybody else? I've always struggled with that. Just always remember, I comes before J, so the I's on top. Israel's on top, Judah's below. That's the, the divided kingdom. Um, this is not the way God intended this. Things are not good. Now, that's the first thing we know about the context. The book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings relays the story of the kings of Israel and Judah who rose and fell, rose and fell. Elijah, by the way, J comes before S. So always remember that Elijah was first and then he was replaced by who? Anybody else ever get confused on that one? I always get confused on that. So Elijah is a prophet to the northern kingdom, Israel. First Kings, up to chapter 16, recounts the first one, two, three, four, five, six kings of Israel, okay? Now, when you read the story, you can kind of doze off because this is a lot of stuff that's going on. You're going, okay, 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 it's going on. Here's the, here's the six names, Jeroboam, Nadab, Basha, Elah, Zimri, Omri. Don't even, need, don't even try and remember those names. But remember the epitaph that's attached to each one. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and acted wickedly. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's, that's true of all. And so now we come in our story, okay? In 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29, we're gonna pick up the story of king number what? What's the number? What does seven mean in scripture? What's it symbolic of? Complete wholeness. Don't miss this. Verse 29, now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians. And he went to serve Baal and worshiped him. Y'all, this is the king of Israel. He went to serve Baal and worship him. 
So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah. This is a female deity. He made, a, he made an idol, literally. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. How many kings of Israel were before him? How many? And Ahab is which one? And seven represents what? We always think of seven as completion as in good, which is true. But you see, it's also completion of bad. This is the epitome wholeness of evil. Israel has hit the bottom, broke through it, and is just plunged into the darkest depravity we, we can't even fathom. We're talking the people of God are sacrificing their children in fire to another God. And when they worship, part of their worship is having sex with the priests and priests, priestesses in the temple. I mean, this is unimaginable. And guess who shows up? Chapter 17, verse one. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. That's all we know about Elijah in terms of resume and family. Shows up, James considers this Elijah's prayer. <clears throat> Remember, because James says he prayed that it wouldn't rain. So it's a statement and a prayer. And you all from this moment, okay, for three and a half years, like that, in that moment, it stopped raining and it won't start again until Elijah prays again three and a half years later. And I want us to note these three events that happen in Elijah's life that mark him, truly mark him and mark his praying, okay? Really, really simple, I'm gonna give it to you this way. There's the raven, it's the bird, there's the raven, there is then the widow, and then there is the resurrection. So that's, I'm gonna hit them very quickly. I, I exhort you, read the story, it's fascinating. The raven, the widow, and then the resurrection. We'll just hit a few of these verses as we go. Look at 17 verses two following. The word of the Lord came to him saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. Ahab wants to kill Elijah. And the story will unfold. He will stop at nothing to kill him. Elijah is over by this brook. He doesn't, you know, God has hidden him. He goes with nothing to eat and nothing to drink because God says, I have commanded the ravens to feed you. Y'all, ravens are not clean birds. <clears throat> In the book of the law, ravens were, were considered unclean, dirty, despicable. Um, they weren't to, to eat ravens at all or anything, you know. And by the way, ravens, as, as we kind of know, they're kind of like crows, okay? You know, they're, they are, uh, they're, they're not kind. 
uh, they don't share and they eat garbage. You know, they just, ugh, it's sickening. Elijah goes and wouldn't you know it, every morning and every evening, ravens showed up with meat to eat and bread to eat. And he drank from the stream. Now, there's a lot in this, but let's just take this. First lesson for Elijah, ultimately for us. God is over all his creation. Ravens don't feed people. Who cares? God said, feed Elijah. God is over all his creation. The ravens, the widow. Notice how the story goes, verse seven. It happened after a while that the brook dried up. Why did the brook dry up? Seriously, no rain. See the story unfold. There's no rain now. I don't know how long it took, but it dried up. Because there was no rain in the land, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now again, let's you know, think about the culture, history, whatever. Who were some of, if not, the poorest, uh, most vulnerable people in the land? widows. You all, a widow in that culture and context, I, I say this in, in a sense, not literally true, but you'll get the sense. They were, they were, they were ultimately doomed to die. They, they have no resources. That's the point. And so, so if you pick up the story, you go, wait, he sent him to ravens. Ravens don't do this, but God said, feed him. Now he sends him to a widow to provide for him when widows can't provide for themselves. It's like being told you need to go get some ice and you're sent to the desert, literally. Go to the desert to get the ice. It's there in the sand. This makes no sense. When he meets the widow, she is gathering sticks in order to bake her last piece, last little bit of flour and oil and she says, I'm, I'm doing this because my, I'm gonna feed my son and myself and then we're gonna die. This is the, this is the position she's in. And uh, Elijah says, would you feed me first? And God has promised that the oil and the flour will not run out until the drought is over. Now, there's a study in and of itself. How about the widow? She did it. She fed him first. And God did what he promised and the flour did not end and the oil did not end till the drought ended. Now, what do we take from that? I'm gonna offer this as a lesson. God is not limited by what limits us. I mean, the bottom line is you can only make so much bread out of this much flour and this much oil. Not according to God. God is not limited by what limits us. The ravens, the widow, the resurrection. Look at chapter 17, verse 17. Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became sick and his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. This widow's son lives for some time, clearly, but then he dies and of course she's upset. 
and, and she says to him, is it like man of God? I mean, so you basically fed us so my son could die later? You know, she's upset. Uh, Elijah doesn't, doesn't react to her upsetness. He actually empathizes with her. It's fascinating to see how he responds. He takes the boy, takes him up into the room in which he's staying. And um, the scripture says that Elijah laid on him three times, put his body on him and three times prayed, Lord, put this boy's life back in him. That's just the prayer. And he did it three times. And the third time the, the scripture says God heard him and, and the life returned to the boy. This is the first resurrection in the Bible. There are others, right? We get to Lazarus, you know, in the New Testament. This is the first. What did Elijah learn in this? I'll suggest this. God is not defeated by death. Now, I want you to note, these, I'm going through this so fast. This happened over years, you all. But clearly, God was intentionally, sovereignly, like, I don't know how to say it, preparing Elijah. Like, you need to understand God's over all his creation. I want you to understand God's not limited by what limits us. Elijah, do you understand God is not defeated by death? Like, these, these lessons come to him. He owns them. Now flip over to chapter 18, verse one. The story goes on now. It happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, drought of three years plus. Go, show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the face of the earth. There's so much here in the sense that he knows Ahab wants him dead. This is a big deal. And God says, now it's time to show yourself to him. And he does. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go through this rather quickly because many of you know the story, but if I can describe it in way, and maybe in terms that we, we get more readily, um, he goes to Ahab and, he's, and he basically throws down the gauntlet and challenges uh, the prophets of Baal to a duel. This is what it was. It was like a duel. And so they gathered on Mount Carmel. There were 850 prophets of Baal, 850 there was one prophet of God, Elijah. Elijah said, gather all Israel to me. Now the whole nation wasn't on the mountaintop, but representative Israel was there. And here was the duel, the terms of the duel. Uh, let's each kill a cow, put the cow on an altar of wood. Don't light the fire, but pray to your God and whosoever God sends fire, he is God. Now, when you read the story, you know, this is the kind of stuff when you get, guys, when I'm telling you, when you read your Bible, you go, this is crazy. And it is, and it really happened. Um, all the people said, that sounds good to us. <laughs> Okie dokie. You know, it's literally, they said that. <laughs> you know, and, and so... Uh, he, Elijah says, you go first. 850 prophets of Baal, they cut their cow up, they put their cow on the wood and they start calling out to Baal. Who knows what they're doing? We know part of what they were doing because nothing was happening. They went all morning and nothing happening. By noon, nothing's happening. And this is funny to me. Elijah starts making fun of them. In the story, he goes, man, he must be asleep. You better yell louder and wake him up. 
maybe he's using the bathroom. He's just like, just ragging them. And so they start cutting themselves, which is what they would do, and cut themselves up like, come and descend the fire. And it says blood poured out of them. Nothing happened. Comes time for the evening sacrifice, significant. It's Elijah's turn. Elijah rebuilds an altar that was once there, an altar of God, once there, he rebuilds it. Stacks it with wood, and then they slay the, the, the cow, and they place it on there. And then Elijah says, I want you to bring water, and I want you to pour it over the cow and over the wood. And he had dug a trench around the whole thing, and they poured the water. He said, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Four times. I mean, the thing is soaked. The water has filled the trench, meaning that all the wood was soaked through and it's just filled the trench. And Elijah's doing this because, you know, it, it, he wants to make certain everybody understands when the fire comes, it's not because he had a piece of flint in his sandal and he, and he ticked it off or something, you know, and oh, he cheated. This is like lighting a match while holding everything underwater. That's what this is. And again, this is, you know, this kind of stuff, I, again, I, I tell you, you read your Bible and, and sometimes you go, this, that'd make a great movie. I don't think you could put this in a movie. I want you to notice what he prayed. Look at chapter 18, verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today, this is so key, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is. You know, I don't even know how sincere they were. I really don't. But, you know, what do you do in the face of that? Now, what's interesting is that when James comes to say, pray, like Elijah, he doesn't cite this prayer. I mean, isn't this the biggie, really? I mean, this is massive, right, this miracle. He doesn't cite this prayer. No, he tells us Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and he prayed that it would rain. Pray likewise. Turn back to James chapter 5. Stay there for a moment because we'll end. I'll tell you what happened in the story. Elijah goes up to the very top of Mount Carmel. He puts his head between his knees. He's face to the ground and he starts praying. Don't know the content of the prayer other than I'm sure he's, you know, he's praying, God, we just send the rain now. He sends his servant to go look toward the sea. Do you see anything coming? Servant comes back, no. Goes again, no. Goes again, no. Goes again, no. Goes again, no. Five. Goes again, six, no. Goes again, the seventh time and the servant comes back and says there's a little cloud the size of a man's fist that's all we needed that's all he needed 
and that little sized, little tiny cloud comes, you know, the flood breaks over, breaks out of the sky. Wow. James chapter five, verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly. There's a really significant statement in the text. He prayed earnestly. The Greek literally is, he prayed with prayer. Okay, that's what it says. Some take it to mean that he prayed with great fervency, intensity. And that's sort of the key to praying like Elijah. And I wanna say, that, that could be true, and I, and I do agree. You know, there's times when you pray with great fervency, and, and that's, that's good. Is there's nothing wrong with praying with that. You know, there's nothing, you know, some, you can't, it's not like you pray with like, I don't know, God, would you do this or whatever? There, that's one prayer versus, God, would you? Oh, God, would you? And when we're in trouble, that's how we pray. And you go, boy, that's a, that's a good prayer. And I go, yeah, it is. But you know, I don't, I don't if you read the Bible and you read even the, the, the gospel accounts, God answers prayers of people who just whisper it. Who, they're not even that sure of their prayer. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think that there's nothing wrong with praying fervently and may we do so. But that's not what he's saying here about Elijah. He's just, he says literally, you know what Elijah did? Elijah prayed with prayer. Well, what does that mean? I think it means this. J.A. Motyer in his commentary writes very clearly, the Greek says literally, with prayer, he prayed. And the meaning is not his fervency nor his frequency of prayer, but that, quote, he just prayed. And nothing more. James Adamson puts it correctly when he says, not that Elijah put up a particularly fervent prayer, but that praying was precisely what he did. Hmm. So Lloyd, you've took us through Elijah's story. You've talked about prayer to come to the end and say to all of us that what he's saying is just pray. Exactly. Because that's what he says. That's it. <laughs> you know, do you feel it? It's like, and I want you to know, that's it. Okay, but there's gotta be, no, no, no. Just pray. That's what he says. Elijah's a man just like us. He prayed that it would, I, we should pray so that it wouldn't rain. I can do, look, just pray. That's all he says, just pray. Now, when we pray, I took you through the Old Testament story to, to understand there's these convictions we bring to these prayers, okay? So we, so we bring these convictions that Elijah brought to his praying. What, what are the convictions? Can I, I'm gonna say it again. He brought these deep convictions that he learned over time that God instilled in him sovereignly and intentionally. God's over all his creation, God's not limited by what limits us. And God is not defeated by death. So this, this is kind of the flavor of his prayers we see. And I'm gonna add a fourth that is absolutely essential. When he prayed, don't turn back there, but he prayed this way. Today, 
let it be known that you are God. When he prayed and that fire came down, he, he, he prayed, I pray that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. There's a fourth thing we add to the three, okay? So the fourth is this. God makes himself known in answer to our prayers. That's the fourth thing. So I've given us four things about Elijah. God is overall creation. God is not limited by what limits us. God is not defeated by death. And God makes himself known in answer to our prayers. And I want this to be so sticky that you can't get it off of you, okay? At the most practical level of active faith. Because this is, if, if we just walk out of here with, with, with no doing, attention to our belief in what he said, uh, God forbid. First, when you are presented with a challenge in your life, or someone presents you with a challenge, or opportunity, or whatever it may be. May our first response be pray. May our first response not be, I can figure this out. May our first response not be, let's get out the spreadsheet. May our first response not be, pull out the budget, we'll make this happen. May our first response not be, look, I've done it before, I'll do it again. Don't go there. Pray. Just, you just pray. And I really mean this when I say it. May it be that when you're at this church and you're walking through the hallway or you're standing here before a service or when I dismiss you in a moment and you talk to someone and they, you're just kind of brushing by, how's it going? And they kind of, kind of grab you and they tell you how it's going and they say something that you go, that's, that's tough. And, and rather than say, I'll pray for you. What if right there you said, can I pray for you right now? And you do it, just right there. It means this, you'll be on the phone this week. This will happen this week. You'll be talking to someone and they'll say something to you. Maybe one of your kids, family member, whatever. And they'll say something in your mind, you think, man, that's, that's hard, that's, that's a challenge or, you know, whatever it may be. Rather than saying goodbye, before you say goodbye, what if you said on the phone, May I pray for you about that? And you know, they'll probably go, what did he just say? Um, that's, what, that's what he's talking about. You just pray. Now, this, one is, this one's gonna get us because it gets me. What if the next time you're at Costco or you're at Target or you're at school or you're at the ball field and you're talking to someone and, and you know, you know, there's something in their life that's going on that you could pray for. What, what if, I know this is so crazy. You make sure nobody's on the aisle, right? I don't know. And you say, can I pray for you? And you pray for them standing right there in Costco. Now, now what you're feeling is what I feel because you're, you're kind of going, boy, that would take faith. And I'm going, uh, yeah, that's exactly why we've been in the book of James. I know that. I'm not saying that's easy for us. But I will say, is it not what it means to pray without ceasing? To just stop and pray with somebody right there. 
You go, yeah, people think we're crazy. Yeah, yeah, they will. Thank God. Maybe they'll ask you, what are you doing? And just maybe you might say, um, we're, we're praying. What? You believe in God? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what'll happen. And then you may say this, well, gosh, you know, I don't know what to pray when people say stuff. I mean, their aunt died or something happened. I, and you really don't. I so, you don't, do not think. By the way, I had, Lisa and I had dinner with, with some, some people. I've got to be careful I tell this story other than to say, in, in their profession, okay, uh, they said to Lisa and I, you know, because I'm kind of like, man, how do, you, how do you know what to do? And how do you know how you do what you do? And you know what they said to Lisa? They said, Look, man, yeah, I have this title before my name. I don't know. We don't really know. We know enough, but look, we, we, we have to figure it out as we go, you know? And, and Lisa and I are going, oh my gosh, really? I thought you were experts. And, and, and I, and I want to say this about prayer. You won't know how to pray. You know, who knows how to pray for someone when a child dies or something crazy happens? So, so don't go there like, I don't know how to pray, so I'm not going to pray because I am giving you James has given us, not me. James, I believe, really is given us and God's given us. Look, here's, how, here's, here's a template in a sense how to pray. This is just a guideline. I want you to listen to my prayer that I would pray for someone. It might go something like this. Lord, Mary is facing a difficult situation. I'm standing here with my friend right now and I'm asking you to act on her behalf. God, you're over all creation. So... There's nothing that's not under your authority and control. God, you're not limited by what limits us. So I don't know how this might work in her life, but you do. And God, even if the worst thing happens, death. Death does not defeat you. And then here's the one I just, if you don't get anything, just get this if you pray with someone. And God, look, our desire is however you answer this prayer, make yourself known. Oh my, that's it. We pray like that, you all, individually, corporately. We experience God in ways you have not imagined. I really believe that. I'm not saying fire's gonna come down and consume the sacrifice. But I'm saying God's gonna make himself known. And as he does, that changes us. I want you to stand, please. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dismiss us with a prayer. Time is, has, has gotten to us, and so we're gonna take more time, but I don't have it this morning. But may I say to you, you got all the time in the world to pray. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that we've stood this morning and had the chance to cheer these students on. What a gift. There's a lot of answered prayer standing up here on this stage when they stood. Some of those prayers didn't go the way we hoped. But every one of those prayers, however it was answered, made you known. God Almighty, would you help us please to just pray? Amen.
be anxious for nothing. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. If you would like to be prayed with, we've got people up front. If you just make your way up here, I'll be down here and I'd be glad to pray with you. God bless.